Hey, my name is Chris Brennan, and you're listening to the Astrology Podcast. This is episode 300, and I'm recording it on Sunday, April 11th, 2021, starting at 6.32 p.m. in Denver, Colorado. So over the past few months, a listener of the show named Alicia Park put together a montage of highlights from each of the forecast episodes that we released last year in 2020. And uh, these forecast episodes, we've been recording them since 2015 with my friends Kelly Surtees and Austin Kopic. And we got together starting in uh, late 2019, in November of 2019, to record the forecast for the year ahead for 2020. And this that year, we got together in person to record it because we knew it would be an important year. So Alicia focused in particular on statements or predictions that we made that ended up being prescient in light of future events and how things turned out. So this episode is basically a supercut of a bunch of different statements and predictions that we made about the future um, that worked out pretty well last year. So I just watched the full video today after Alicia sent it to me, and I thought it came out really well, and I'm pretty happy with our track record last year. So I decided to go ahead and release this as episode 300 of the podcast. I think it provides a nice review of how things went last year, both astrologically and just in terms of world events in general. And it also provides some insight into our process as astrologers and as uh, people that do astrological forecasting. Um, both in terms of our process of making predictions and how and why we made certain statements, as well as just um, showing our process of, in some instances, learning and growing as astrologers during the process as we went along, uh, just like everyone else trying to get through and trying to survive last year. So my hope is that people will find this, um, this these highlights both interesting as well as useful from like an educational standpoint. And I think it's just a nice way to look back now uh, since the podcast has reached this milestone of 300 episodes. Uh, while you can listen to the purely audio version of this episode, if you normally listen to the audio versions of the podcast, I'd recommend watching the video version of this episode since the video will say in the bottom right-hand corner of the screen what episode each clip is from, um, as well as the date uh, that that episode was was recorded, which is kind of important context as you're watching through these clips, um, seeing at what points during the year or how far ahead of time we're making some of these statements about future events. So in addition to uh, this episode milestone, we also recently hit 75,000 subscribers on YouTube. So I wanted to say thanks to all the listeners and all the patrons that have supported the podcast over the years. Without your support, I wouldn't have been able to make it to 300 episodes now. So, so thank you. All right, with that introduction out of the way, let's take a look at the highlights that Alicia compiled from last year. Are you prepared just in general, <laughs> like uh, mentally and spiritually for 2020? Um, getting there. I was, that's gonna be, yeah, like I have. I will be <laughs> thirty-eight days to be fully ready. Yes, thirty-eight. Oh, I was just gonna hide in a bomb shelter all year. Are you? I think I'm gonna be teaching classes. You'll the, be teaching live from the bomb live shelter. from the bomb shelter. <laughs> I love it. I love it. We have to start with the Saturn Pluto. I think we do. Yeah, that yeah. is the elephant in the room. Yes. Yeah. yeah. The I, big rock everyone's trying to pretend isn't there. The Saturn Pluto conjunction is heavy. Sure. It's heavy and it's big. It, it looms 
there is a looming quality to it. Historically, Saturn conjoins Pluto at very heavy moments in history. And we're, I think, at an appropriately um, heavy and momentous um, seeming mo uh, period of history. Would we all agree that the Saturn-Pluto conjunction in Capricorn is not snuggly? Correct. Right. <laughs> it's, it would, it, it's the anti-cuddle aspect. It's so dry, you know, Saturn in Capricorn doesn't, like, the pure energy of that is, like, distant or detached or um, hands-off. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it beco can become isolating or there can be this feeling of barriers. Yeah, isolationism. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good actually theme. If we're talking about this in a mundane sense, with different mm. themes of like security uh, and and what it takes to create a greater sense of security versus mm. like sense of like isolationism yeah. as something that goes along with that. Yeah, the Saturn Pluto conjunction historically has been very pro barrier and pro wall. Very um, pro a wall, wall being the mm. the archetypal physical structure which creates separation. Yeah. Pluto tends to just amplify whatever it's touching and like get, let it go nuts with whatever its normal tendency already is. Yeah. So yeah. if the normal tendency for Saturn is to build walls and create greater sense of exclusion and, and separateness, then Pluto is just going to amplify that and blow it out of all proportion. It, yeah. It makes that, it very that, extreme. Yeah. And that uh, we can just check history and it's true every time. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So, so that's, that's the start of the quarter. In about mid-February, Mars moves into Capricorn, where we have all of that other outer planet action going on this year. Yeah, there's there's a, a lot there, right? Huge. There, there are um, several different conjunctions to think about, and Mars Mars adds fire, right, and separation and action. Yeah, dis divisiveness. Uh, it's not just Mars in the same sign. Mars and Jupiter and Pluto and Saturn are all very close by degree. Yes. Um, now that's an anti-cuddle aspect. <laughs> There'll be no cuddling in the third week of March. None at all. Okay. So many astrologers associated with like the financial collapse and the recession that happened in 2008 with Pluto ingressing into Capricorn. But now at the very end of Pluto's transit, we have these intense conjunctions taking place before uh, we finish up that, that transit through that sign. Yeah, and um, I believe that the United States was born with its Pluto in the third decan of Sag. Or uh, Scorpio, right. or Sco Capricorn. Capricorn. <laughs> right. I'm gonna, gotta learn again? my signs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so we're going, the United yeah. States is having a Pluto return. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, the um, in terms of individual charts that mm -hmm. um, this year connects with more, this, this year connects a lot with the U.S. chart. Right. Mm. So far, just talking about Saturn-Pluto conjunctions. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We've called it the anti-cuddle aspect. I love that. One of the images of Mars Saturn is like Mars is like pressing the gas in the car all the way to the floor, like flooring it, while also Saturn is like hitting the brakes at the same time or while like having the emergency brake on. Yeah. Having those dueling qualities of wanting to move forward rapidly, but also sometimes being stopped from moving forward or having a barrier that you have to decide whether to attempt to just push through and like remove from your way as an obstacle or if it's something that actually stops you so that you can't proceed further. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and so one very common Mars-Saturn experience is frustration. Yeah, I was like, that's the word right, for Mars-Saturn. frustration. Saturn. Yeah. Mars-Saturn configurations can be unfortunate triggers for bad things. Um, you know, if there's disagreement between the gas pedal 
and the break. In Aquarius, Saturn is in a vastly superior position. Yes. Um, and so the, the, the break will naturally win mm -hmm. and is probably the right move. Yes. So Saturn Uranus. Saturn Uranus have very contrary significations. When they get configured by hard aspect, you see you see friction between yeah. um, I'm trying to do this plan, but oh, but things just changed. Yes. Um, you um, one way that that works out is having to radically and quickly alter a longer term plan to take into consideration uh, a new and important development. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So the that idea of like having a plan but the situation changing faster than you can actually enact your original plan and then having to go back to the drawing board or even on the fly having to be a little bit flexible or a little bit spontaneous yeah. which is not something saturn does very well naturally quarter two other jupiter stuff pluto. So that there is a wealth signature that i often see referred to with jupiter pluto you know how is money and power kind of coming together right. to a certain and, extent and extremes of those Very in terms extremes. of like not usually in between but either like extreme wealth or extreme poverty extreme poverty mm -hmm. yeah sure. yeah keep in mind this is the second time we've had jupiter in capricorn since pluto went into capricorn so oh, right. 2008 we had jupiter in capricorn with pluto there as well so that was a fun time uh, yeah yeah <laughs> I don't want to cause any sort of, you know, concern for people, but just to be aware that we there there may be an echo of theme, mm -hmm. if you like, uh, macro level, but also at a personal level. So in terms of like fluctuations of wealth and things like that. Fluctuations of wealth. I think also in a personal individual life, you know, that there's sort of extreme developments that mm -hmm. can happen with Jupiter Pluto. Alan White always used to say that it takes that which is really small and makes it really big, or it takes that which is really big and makes it really small. Yeah. And that's just exacerbated even more with Jupiter throwing into the mix, which already has a tendency to make things big and, and overblown. Yeah. Sometimes during things like recessions, like some people obviously collectively have a hard time, but other people find ways to not just take advantage, but to take advantage of like opportunities during those periods that might help them in the long term. Yeah. If you read biographies, you see that a lot of the best things that happen in people's lives are a result of what they did when the worst times were happening. Mars in Aries is a consistent feature for the entire second half of the year. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, so, and, you know, get, get used to Mars in Aries. <laughs> a retrograde of a planet, Mercury, Venus, or Mars tends to, you know, massively extend the amount of time that planet is spending in a particular sign. Yeah. Which elongates a transit that otherwise should be short. Short. Yeah. Uh, sort of like keeping a single note, like usually like on a piano, you have the keys and you might press a key mm -hmm. once normally and then keep going, but it's like holding the, the same key yeah. for... It is, well, but I mean, that sounds unendurable. A tone that's added into this Mars retrograde is that square to Saturn. Yeah. A tone of like frustration or restraint. Absolutely. Because Mars in Aries does not like to slow down or think about consequences or the long term or the future. And that's what Saturn in Capricorn is kind of all about. Yeah. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of acrimony there. What a lot of people experience is uh, wild oscillations in energy levels, mm. um, like the, the the range being total lethargy and berserker fury. Mars, historically, Mars retrogrades. You see Mars dropping the rules of engagement. Yes, um, people will tend to fight dirty mm -hmm. um, if they fight. Um, they will. There's a tendency for for conflicts to be 
outside of proper and civilized bounds. Mm. Um, That's and a so beautiful it, way of putting it. Thank you. It, it's something to watch in yourself. Yeah. And just to remember that when Mars is, even if you're not having a big transit, if you're around people, like somebody is, and just, you know, um, taking into account that people might be in a month where they're going to be much more unreasonable than they usually are. Yes. But yeah, the Mars-Saturn, uh, it's rough. It's a rough combination. There's also an element of like an endurance with mm -hmm. Mars totally. having a retrograde in Aries, because like Mars and Aries is not normally something we associate with like an endurance type signification or aspect if we had to like rank rank them. It would be a sprint. Yeah, normally yeah. it's a sprint, but having Mars slow down and stay in Aries for a long period of time and having that occurring within the context of a square with Saturn is definitely um, bringing up some challenges in terms of how do you keep up your endurance and how do you develop endurance when initially what you thought was just going to be a sprint. Um, with Mars, I would say that the question is, what's really what's worth fighting for? What's worth the effort? Yeah. Well, and what's what, not worth the effort? What's what he'll do on a die on? Yeah. Yeah. What he'll do. <laughs> <laughs> and the Mars retrograde comes in as like a complication or just this extra thing that you weren't expecting right. when we're almost at the end of that Saturn in Capricorn cycle. Right. Like a yeah. stumble before the end of the race. Yeah. Or just somebody throwing you a curveball when you're almost there and you, you know, you've just got to grab it and keep going with it basically. Yeah. yeah. It's yeah. the the last mile of the marathon. That's exactly mm. it. And all of a sudden there's a hill you weren't expecting or I don't know, somebody's parked their car in the middle of the road and you've got to run around and it's an extra 50 meters, which is the last thing you want to do when you're running 40 kilometers. Yeah. And, and so it's challenging. It is effort and it requires you to dig deep at a time when you're already maybe a little bit depleted because if you if it's the last mile of the marathon, you've already run 25 miles. Yeah. You're not, uh, your you're glycogen not sores are <laughs> not very uh, low <laughs> are non-existent. Yeah. How do I not be afraid of 2020? That's a good question <laughs> a good from Erin. I would say one thing that I've considered when looking at the astrology of hard years is think about all the history that human beings have made it through. Mm -hmm. That's a beautiful way. Like my grandparents did the depression and then World War II. Yep. Uh, we're shockingly resilient, resilient if you give us a chance. Yeah. October. We we begin with a with a full moon in uh, Aries. Just some more big cardinal mood. Indeed. And we get some Mercury action, Mercury retro action coming our, through. Our third Mercury retrograde of the year. Note that this one will be um, covering the weeks leading up to the American uh, presidential election. Yeah, it's also opposite Uranus, like on that station. Yeah, it's a great point. This is like the the October surprise. Uh, so Mercury retrogrades, general statements, uh, usual things about like miscommunication or reviewing old communications or re retooling old old things. This one, though, that Uranus opposition is throwing in a major sort of unexpected disruptions type signature. Yeah, and the the, the ruler of this um, Mercury is uh, a retro Mars opposite yeah, the sun. Retro Mars okay. square Pluto. So there's a theme of contentiousness that it draws in as well. Totally, because the sky is quite dominated by oppositions and squares. Mercury eventually stations direct around November fourth, November fifth, two thousand twenty. At 26 Libra. Yeah, in a nice square to Saturn. So that'll be a, you know, the Mercury retrograde's over, but with the square to Saturn, we've got that sense of, I don't know whether it's a heaviness or a pause. We've really got to do this properly. We've got to think deeply about uh, what we're trying to bring forward. 
moving beyond the obvious example of the what will be the recent presidential, oh, presidential election, at this election. Point, yeah there's a lot of stuff as we said earlier about power and thrones etc cetera, etc cetera, that runs uh, th those themes run throughout the year and then at the very end of the year you know we have not just a lunation but an eclipse um, w involving two royal stars. Yes. A lot of interest in, you know, who wins the power games, the game of musical thrones. And historically, the the cusp years around a Jupiter-Saturn pivot see big changes in not only who is in power, but what patterns are in power. Yeah. So big eclipse on December 14th. Uh, and then in the next week, Saturn yes. and Jupiter both ingress into Aquarius. So let's Here just comes like the pause next, the for next that epoch because that is the end of Saturn in Capricorn. Done. Right. December twentieth. December twentieth. So right at the end of the year. Yeah. One, and one thing I would just say about oh, know, this Jupiter Saturn, like as Chris said, it's probably not. Um, everything's solved mm -hmm. what i'd say is that it'll be easier uh it will be more natural and easier and, and more necessary to look to actually agree on the problems facing us mm -hmm. collectively right now because part of the issue for now in the last several years is problems can't get solved because people don't even agree on what the problem is are, exactly right? yeah um and i think that the saturn jupiter co-presence in aquarius will will force the like no this is really an issue yes so at least the agreement you're right you can't solve a problem until you've all agreed that it is a problem yeah there, in, in in something even resembling a democracy you need consensus correct it's a lot of it's a big year transition and turning it's a points. lot of big it's a big year for the world yeah but that's December, Jupiter yep. Saturn. And then yeah, that's that's the show. Jupiter ingresses into Capricorn and then there's just a shift that happens at the very end of the year. Yeah, and Jupiter is fallen in Capricorn. Yeah. It's one of the most difficult signs uh for Jupiter to do its thing. So it really is like a you know, the balloon has popped. We are dealing with well. I don't, I, even I can't spin this one. I, I don't know that we can make this a positive. I mean, I just keep telling people to reduce your financial exposure. The less debt you have, the more insulated you will be from something like this. I have Jupiter and Capricorn, and I think that's a fine placement. Uh, <laughs> yes, and, you are known for your buoyant Jupiterian nature. Um, so that is what, yeah. what Jupiter and Capricorn is like. If if anybody needs an example, but but definitely taking advantage of of what you have available to you and, and learning how to get the most mileage out of out of that. Chris, you make a a very Jupiter and Capricorn point with um, by saying that you know disaster or trouble, malefic things can be an opportunity. Yeah, making the best out of a bad situation or learning how to thrive and grow even in a difficult environment. Yeah. So I even got you guys to spin something positive out of this. Well, you, I got to try. We, we got to try. <laughs> you know, without a little effort, this is, you know, horrifically depressing. We are back again. It's been uh, two months since we met up last. We were younger then. We were much more optimistic. It does feel like a whole new astrological space out there uh, since, you know, because Jupiter has changed signs since we last spoke. Yeah, Jupiter mm -hmm. changed signs. Everything's in Capricorn now, and that is only going to get 
worse or that's going to increase in February uh, when Mars moves in there. That seemed like in that span between like the eclipse, the solar eclipse in Capricorn, and then the Saturn Pluto conjunction, uh, things got kind of kind of serious. Things got kind of real during that like week or two period in late December, early January. By January 2nd, World War Three was trending on Twitter. Yeah. I was like, I'm glad I didn't sugarcoat. Like, this is, people were like, yeah, that's kind of what you said. I didn't say, here comes World War Three, but like, this is going to be gnarly and people are going to be upset. Um, and that was like, okay, um, the year showing its cards immediately. I want to say we're coming out of eclipse season, we're coming away a little bit from the Saturn Pluto conjunction. But then in February, it's like Mars goes into Capricorn and Venus goes into Aries. So some of that pileup of major outer planet stuff in Capricorn almost only gets intensified at this point. People with like day charts may have been like skating through some of the Capricorn stuff relatively okay. But then once Mars gets there and crashes the party in Capricorn, it's like nobody is quite getting through that area of their life without any disturbance whatsoever. But the other thing that has starts is that Mercury retrograde uh, in Pisces conjunct Neptune. Miscommunication or even deception can be a major factor during those aspects. So we get like a redoubling or an intensification of that as a possible theme. Poor communication, travel plan problems, electronic madness, et cetera, all the classic Mercury retrograde things. It's Mercury in the sign of its fall, sharing the sign with Neptune, and then adding retrogradation, and then eventually towards the end of the month, combustion. And so it's really um, <laughs> as underwater as Mercury can be. The Venus Pluto and Venus Saturn is is Venus getting into the darkest part of the scary woods, which she's been approaching for the weeks. So that's very much the um, that's one of the vibes and sort of landscapes that Saturn Pluto has been putting out is the trapped in a scary place, whether it's like trapped in a world out of control, trapped in a house where there are fires coming up, trapped in you know trapped in a relation to trap, whatever the trap is, right? Yeah. Saturn and Pluto with, uh, you know, historically we see like borders and boundaries and all that. Um, personally, we get that same theme, but it's being stuck inside of, right? Stuck inside of walls that are um, ominous and unfeeling. The next major, major thing that happens is Saturn ingresses into Aquarius. I think it is a bit of a rough or bumpy landing with Saturn coming into Aquarius and Mars following suit. Saturn in Aquarius is a major long-term transit that everybody's going to be experiencing for the next uh, three years, but it's curious that it starts off at the very top of it with a Mars-Saturn conjunction. This initial preview that begins in March might begin with some sort of tension or some even like a crisis, which brings up the issues in some instances even in dramatic ways that then will have to play out and be dealt with over the course of the next 2 to 3 years it's almost like in that it's a, in that Saturn's ingress is a preview that preview begins with the the vision of a of a troubled timeline like the old terminator movies right where you're like oh god if i don't do this in the second quarter then I'll end up in the bad timeline when Saturn actually goes back into Aquarius at the end of the year and next year. There's a little bit of a like averting a future crisis with that initial co-presence of Mars and Saturn. Like, oh, this is where things are going. Um, 
you know, mm. if I don't do anything, that's probably where they're going. But there's, you know, there's time enough to to change that. We just have to keep John Connor alive. So Mars is like the T-1000 who's been sent uh, back in time. The bad guys send the bad guy first, but then later in December, we get Jupiter, who in this analogy is going to be played by the positive robot of Arnold Schwarzenegger circa uh, Terminator 2. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So this is so so the the second quarter is Terminator 1 and then <laughs> if we if we survive Terminator 1, which we probably will, then we get to Terminator 2, which is arguably the best one. Um yeah. but there will be liquid metal assassins, but we'll deal with that then. The Mars Saturn piece, to me it feels very much like banging your head against a brick wall. Like I'm just I'm trying to do it, but I can't do it yet or there's this bureaucracy or this delay or this pre this preparation required to do the thing and I didn't even know I had to do the same thing so I certainly haven't done the preparation um, and it's just a little bit of that frustration of maybe juggling different timelines the more immediate of Mars versus the longer term of Saturn and trying to figure out what you're meant to do in in what order and I, I think it it just feels a little bit like that last week of last few days of March first few days of April it's just like trying to get your head around this whole different thing. It's March 26, 2020, and uh, so much has changed over the, the course of the past few weeks. I think it's been shocking how precisely the events in the world have matched the astrology in a way I think we hoped wouldn't be true. I expected a recession this year. I didn't expect it to get triggered by like a plague crisis something to learn from from this is you can figure out enough about things that you can know what strategy to take even if you don't know why you have to take that strategy um and what metaphors are appropriate I feel like we're all getting a masterclass in the Saturnian approach of things like isolation, staying alone, being more of a hermit, being even more frugal. There are a number of moving parts to this. Um, mm. At the very least, we can reduce it to Mars, Saturn, Saturn, Pluto, and Jupiter um, being massively outgunned. If you've got a problem, but there's a solution available, it's okay. We've got a big problem, but the medical and health systems are not able to to provide what's needed at the volume. And I think that is a little bit represented by Jupiter's condition here. Throw up this chart right here, and it just shows you all of the planets are basically lining up right now in the sky, and then some major event is happening on the Earth. And there's so many nuances to this. It's the three superior planets in the same place, but it's also Mars and Jupiter chiming in on the Saturn-Pluto. And then if you're taking total sort of traditional, you've got the three malefics, the south node, Mars and Saturn in the same place, and Jupiter really struggling by being so close to all of those. So it, there's a number yeah. of ways you can approach this and describe this as a very difficult combination of, of cycles or planets. All of the do-bads were in one place at the same time, right? Like a and concentration so of all the do-bads. They just got together and put all their crap in the same place. We have the Mars-Saturn conjunction that's about to take place now, basically in the next few days at zero degrees of Aquarius. But then later this year in December, we have another conjunction at the same degree, which is the much talked about and very rare conjunction of Jupiter and Saturn, which is going to take place at zero degrees of Aquarius, which to me looks like much more optimistic. And as a 
sort of healing or reconciling and fixing some of the things that get broken during this time around this intense period of the Mars-Saturn conjunction. Just a brief point too about how the air signs are known as humane signs and tend to speak a lot to what goes on to humans and, and even human bodies. And with two conjunctions in Aquarius this year, the Mars-Saturn is going to be more about human problems and uh, the Jupiter-Saturn is going to bring perhaps a little bit of help or support, whether it is that we figure out how to do this new reality better, whether it is that there is more medicine or vaccine scenes available. It's worth mentioning Mercury finally yeah. leaving Pisces. That's another maybe important layering the tail end of like a Mercury-Neptune conjunction. I think Kate uh, suggested this, started calling it a goldfish yoga. Um, you know, like a goldfish <laughs> only sees what's right in front of it. Um, and that, yeah. you know, that that's that's been an issue for this whole Mercury-Neptune co-presence is not having proper context in threat assessment. Mercury-Neptune is just, it's just not great for clarity. Not at all. Yeah. And especially Mercury just does not like being in Pisces from a technical doing Mercury yeah, things it's, perspective. It's like a combination of messy wetness. It's a yeah. sun and moon conjunct Uranus and also square Saturn but moving right. from Saturn to Uranus. So this looks like people so ready to leave quarantine. This is just speculation at this point, but maybe that there are some places where people go into protest mode against quarantines or there's chaos, or maybe that's when things get announced. And maybe it's like, okay, first week of May, we're, you know, everybody can leave the house or whatever. But there's just a lot of that uh, moving away from Saturnian restriction and seeking Uranian freedom. So the sequence would be like new moon, moon then hits Uranus, but then the moon squares Mars immediately after that, and you get the Mars significations, which are problematic and negative. Mars also does not like being contained or locked up. And Mars stimulates action. And uh, on an emotional level, Mars stirs anger. So we may have something like that towards the end of the month. Where there are quarantines still in effect, people will be ready to get mad uh, around that lunation. It's interesting how things are lining up so far here at the end of April. The date was April 25th, and it just says, reopening of America accelerates as states prepare to relax coronavirus restrictions. Some of the concerns are whether there'll be a second spike or, or a second sort of peak of people getting infected with the coronavirus, and then what happens at that point. Yeah, well, and we know that what comes at the end of June, whatever it is, is not good. It might be economic, it might be medical, it might be both. Venus square Neptune. It might be like being abducted by the Fae, where you're taken off yes. into a fantasy realm for a while, and then you wake up in a cornfield and your wallet's missing. Yeah, it's such an overly yeah. idealistic aspect. One of the things I thought of with that Venus-Neptune vibe throughout May was this uncertainty about exactly what you can and can't do and when. There's sort of this staggered rollout to do with reopening. You know, we, we think we're going to have this happen on this date and then a week or two later these other things will happen, but we're not giving you all the detail and we're reserving the right to change our mind right up until the last minute. Venus and Neptune sometimes is the most extreme manifestation is, is false hope. And I feel like that's one of the keywords we're like dancing around here. One of the last things that I think is going to come back is large group gatherings. 
And I agree. It, the astrologer in me is like, well, that has to wait till Jupiter goes into Aquarius, unfortunately. And, and yes, even and then, that, it's it's under pressure. Still, yes. When Jupiter stations retrograde at 27 degrees of Capricorn, it gets the closest that it's going to get to the conjunction with Saturn at this mm. point in time. But by stationing, it actually doesn't reach or sort of aborts the conjunction, basically. And so it's like there's something that almost happens. Maybe it has to do with something like the restrictions lessening, then the realization that life isn't fully back to normal, that we're not just all going to be able to like crowd into no. sports or arenas or something like that again. But eventually, Jupiter does catch up with Saturn in December. And I know with some of the projections, they were saying it would take at least a year to come up with a vaccine for COVID. So perhaps the conjunction has to do with finally coming up with something that could help to make it so people could do things like that again, like um, getting in large groups. I had one anecdote that I wanted to share that's uh, thoroughly astrological. So as you all know, um, I'm a big fan of uh, mixed martial arts. Uh, and the president of, um, of the UFC, which is the biggest organization, is a rather cantankerous fellow named uh, Dana White. And Dana's been like, fuck it, I got a secret island, we're going to have fights with no crowds on Fight Island. And somebody pointed out to me that that was the most Saturn Mars uh, conjoined in Aquarius thing ever is we've got a we've got a crazy secret island where there will be fights. It's going to be fights with no audience, which is kind of eerie so and it's appropriately plague creepy. Um, but to be fair, a lot of fans, including myself, are kind of excited that there'll be no crowd noise. They'll just be like the silence of two people locked in combat. And the occasional yeah you know, i mean it won't and, be completely oops, silent though will it it will be the sounds of no, pounding <laughs> well <laughs> i mean punches <laughs> i wasn't even going there kelly it will be the the, the sounds <laughs> of attempt of uh, attempted violence attempted right. violence this is a family um, show you two just to remind you Sorry. Um, <laughs> yeah, take take it to Fight Island. Get out of here with that. Take it to Fight Island. Yeah. I love it. All right. What what we're sort of alluding to and jumping around with here is that the Mars Saturn stuff is a shorter piece of a longer Jupiter Saturn thing, basically, mm -hmm. and that we get potentially we get some of our freedoms, if you like, um, back in the in this month of May, essentially. But Jupiter and Saturn are still doing their thing. So some of the larger, like, I don't think international borders are opening up anytime soon. So there are pieces that are not opened up yet, but there are some smaller levels that come back. Like Austin, you can go back to watching people kick the shit out of each other. I re-released an old episode that Nick Diggin-Best and I had done on Venus retrogrades, one of the things that Nick talked about was things like riots and racial tensions. There's already recently just happening in the past few days protests in Minneapolis because of the murder, basically, of George Floyd by some police officers. Probably an important element of what's going on right now in terms of the Venus retrograde can be tied in with that, and we'll probably see a continuation of some of that story as people demand justice. And one of the keywords that Nick used for Venus retrograde was challenging consensus and what happens when the consensus reality needs to be challenged in order to change or revise something, especially as a result of an injustice. I would give um, Mars in Aries for six months the um, 
think that planet will take up the duty of making mm. sure that every cauldron of rage boils over. Mars moves into Aries where this is a huge shift because this transit mm. of Mars through Aries is going to last for like the next six months or something crazy like that. It and is so, more than six it, full months. Yeah. And, and then Austin, it, yeah, where does it go? <laughs> oh, it, it conjoins Uranus and squares Saturn when it yeah. enters Taurus. The ne Next year is better than this year, but it has a rough start. It does have a bumpy beginning, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, plan to start getting good at dealing with Mars and Aries. You've got a little bit of time to figure out how to kind of work with and adapt to and protect yourself from what it's like when it rains gasoline every couple days. Mars brings high volatility to anything in general when it's in Aries, um, including people's moods and dispositions. Just think about like, okay, I'm going to have to manage the gasoline all around me for six months. Right. And the, the answer to that is, you know, is not be terrified, but like, how do you, how do you store it carefully? And then also if you have a, that's also a super abundance of fuel. And then what yeah. engines do I put this into? And we are careful when we work with gasoline, you know, not because it is evil, but because it's highly combustible. Yeah. That was a great keyword where you said an, an overabundance of fuel. Since we have Mars going back into a cardinal sign and with Saturn retrograding back into Capricorn, there's a return of some of those tensions that we were having between March through the first part of May about like wanting to move forward but being held back. But this time Mars is in Aries where um, that sense of there being like a lot of fuel there uh, that's wanting to be burned is um, much more present and is a little bit harder to control than uh, when it was going through Capricorn. One of the final other major alignments this month, which is the Jupiter-Pluto conjunction, it's happening at 24 degrees of Capricorn, and it's the second conjunction of Jupiter and Pluto. The big theme that I started realizing, but it became really evident at the beginning of May, and I think was very much tied into the Jupiter-Pluto conjunction, was just issues of truth and this deep um, desire mm -hmm. um, by large groups of people by everybody to get to the truth of like what is going on and to try to uncover the true um, reality of that which is taking place. For lack of a better term, let's just say for the sake of discussion, there were a lot of conspiracy theory videos that were going around on social media in early May, like the pandemic video that got very big. And I think that's one of the themes of the Jupiter-Pluto conjunction that we'll continue to see a development and expansion of um, different attempts to sort of manipulate and control narratives and to question truths. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. And that um, that syncs beautifully with um, an article that uh, Patrick Watson put out before you know all this this circus started, um, where he was he just looked at the history of Jupiter Pluto conjunctions and found that microscopes and telescopes alike um, that allowed us to see things we'd never seen before arrived in the human world during Jupiter-Pluto conjunctions, like mm -hmm. which is the being able to look at things, either big things or small things, but being able to look further in search of truth. I remember a few months ago, and I wasn't able to follow this as well as I wanted to at the time, but I w remember there being some background discussion then when 
the first Jupiter-Pluto conjunction hit that some astrologers went back and started looking at historical conjunctions and noted that the 1918 flu pandemic coincided pretty nicely with Jupiter-Pluto conjunctions. But what's weird is that's kind of happening again right now if you plot like this graph of the exact hits up against the COVID numbers, especially in the US, of just tests and diagnoses. That first exact hit of Jupiter conjunct Pluto was right at the beginning of April, and now we see the second exact conjunction happening right at the end of June as all of the numbers in the US or some of the numbers are starting to climb back upwards again. Um, and I think there's something really notable about that. Here's one graph that I found from the COVID tracking project on Twitter that shows positive cases of like tests coming back positive in the US. Um, and you see the initial climb happening and peaking around early April, which is basically when the first Jupiter-Pluto conjunction occurred. And then now they're climbing back up again. So we're in the second peak now, and that's somehow going to color the early part of July, I think, in terms of the Jupiter-Pluto conjunction and some of those energies. And then for whatever reason, the third and final conjunction of Jupiter and Pluto happens in November, uh, not too long after the US presidential election. It sort of reminds me that like, no matter what happens in November, no matter who wins the US election, there's going to be like accusations about the election being um, you know, somehow manipulated or controlled or things not being fair and ideas from the other side, the losing side, that it was manipulated in some way. And I sort of wonder if that's not going to be one of our main talking points that we're going to end up seeing in the news in November with that third conjunction hitting at that time. Oh, yeah. And the rest of the things that hit at that I was going to say there's a lot going on in November that sure. is all going to contribute. <laughs> as soon as Mars came into Aries, we did start to see some of the numbers in different places around the world starting to climb a little bit. Venus coming into a cardinal sign is just kind of further adding into that. The key word that I keep coming back to for this Mars square Saturn is frustration, that it's taking longer than you want, that there is just uh, a lot more effort required not even necessarily to create the momentum or the, the progress that you're looking for, but there may be a lot of effort required to even just kind of maintain place. Saturn is the, the planet of time and durable things, um, but also the quality of time. This is a good Mars, this is a strong Mars. And so we can be our, our best martial selves. We can have all of the our guns point in the right direction. We can be in great shape, but if the timing is off, mm. it's just not the right time for you know that push. And yeah. even though that's not uh, that's not exciting to contemplate, you know, there's something to be said for saving your strength. To riff off what you're saying there, Austin, one of the great uses that I think astrology offers us is how to be efficient with our energy and our resources and our time. Mm. And an efficient use of energy and resources, you know, when we talk about electing moments or the, the time in the month where the energy is really flowing or the time in the year, that's when you jump on because you kind of catch the current and, and you can get maybe a little bit more bang for your buck in terms of your effort. September and, and late August feels like maximum effort for minimum return. And it, it certainly looks more efficient to wait or to come back or to preserve to conserve to do a little bit more research or planning or preparation and leave the big push 
for once, you know, Mars is not in this very pressured situation. Yeah, I believe the military term for that is in the shit. In the shit. <laughs> We've headed into officially political season in the United States, and it's hard not to talk about that. Mercury goes retrograde for three weeks, basically, and then stations direct on election day. History question, you guys know the last time that Mercury stationed direct on election day? I do. I do. It's 2000. November 2000. Exactly. 20 years ago, Mercury periods are 20 years, which means that we've got a, a bit of a repetition. 20 years ago, unleashed this whole can of worms in terms of the um, election being undecided, basically. Yeah, that's what I'm expecting is like a delayed result. When you think about it, Mercury ends its retrograde, but it takes quite some time to get back up to a level of speed or pace. The end of the retrograde is not now I'm going 100Ks an hour again. The end of the retrograde is I've just turned and I'm not facing backwards, but now I'm facing forward, but I'm still not really going anywhere. It's going to take Mercury a few days to actually even get off the station degree. So some kind of delayed or contested result in the election, it seems like a no-brainer. What Mercury is doing at that time, it's stationing direct exactly square Saturn, almost exactly yeah. square Saturn. And right. all that like slow down, working through systems, do it over again, you know, like maybe recounting. Yeah, um, count and recount like, and then double check account. Yeah. Right. Like, and so if we're looking for planets that look like a delayed result, that's a lot of delay language from the sky. I really think that that whole first week of November is just sort of that hanging around, you know, waiting on something to come through kind of vibe. The impressive prediction at this point would be figuring out when that's resolved, right? When there's a clear right. result. Yeah. Right. Like, you know, that it, that's almost harder than picking the president, uh, than picking who wins. It's like, well, does it take until, you know, does Mars direct do that? No, I don't right. think so. It's Friday the 13th, direct on the 13th. Of, of November. And I think that's when the war really starts. The direct station of Mars is not a cessation of conflict. It is a change in the direction of conflict in a more direct forward moving direction. Um, so I would say there's no way that that's uh, that that doesn't say accord. Again, I think it'll be an intensification of the dispute around the election results. The more I looked at this, the more I kept coming back to what you did, Austin, for some reason, was this major, major eclipse that takes place in Sagittarius on December 14th. In the United States Sibley chart, it has Sagittarius rising. So having an eclipse in Sagittarius um, you know, at that time, December 14th, would presumably mark something important happening at that time. The other thing that, that came up, of course, is just that Biden also has Sagittarius rising, so the eclipse is going to take place in his first whole sign house pretty much no matter what. There were different indications that we found for different candidates, like some of them were more in favor of Biden and Harris, and some of the indications seemed to lean more in favor of Trump and Pence. But the eclipse one to me was definitely one that was favoring Biden a bit more, just because in the past several elections, the primary presidential candidate that had eclipses falling in their first house or their 10th house tended to be the one that was winning at that time. So I want to add a, an additional piece to this. If we run the um, Vimshodari Dasha on the Sibley chart, the United States entered an 18-year Rahu period in 2016. And so 
if we were treating the United States sort of like a person, it's not a person, but it's, you know, some of these rules still apply. Your Time Lord was the, you know, the dragon's head. Then you would just assume that eclipses would be even more important than usual for moving things around. I was going to say forward. I'm not sure that's the direction we're going, um, but moving them. <laughs> moving things, stirring things yes. up at the very least. Right. And the yeah, the uh, the charts of the candidates are just all lit up like crazy by this these Sag Gemini eclipses. W one thing I I want to bring in um as an advocate for Uranus here because Uranus gives surprises and disruptions, right? And we can know kind of when the box opens but not necessarily what's in it. I feel like in addition to the known difficulties that we will be facing in figuring out uh, a president, there's going to be at least one curveball that we don't see from here. Mm. Yeah. Right. I like mean, something, there's something that's going to come sideways in addition to the expected difficulties. Saturn doesn't give surprises. Right. And so this no, Mercury uh, stationing square Saturn on election day, we're like, yep, these are all the Saturn reasons. These are the systems reasons why this will probably take longer. But then there's whatever the Uranian input is going to be. And we don't have to know what it is to know that it's scheduled. The thing that I was really focused on and researching a lot for a few months there in the spring, which was the Jupiter-Pluto conjunctions and the proliferation of, for lack of a better phrase, conspiracy theories. No matter what happens on November 3rd in the US, there's going to be like either side or both sides are going to have an explosion of like major theories and observations or speculations about what happened and about you know underhandedness or um, whether the election was valid or if there's this huge explosion of covid both in the US as well as in Europe or around the world and additional lockdowns and clampdowns then one of the results of that is going to be a proliferation of like conspiracy theories about whether it's like a result of government overreach or manipulation or what have you it's exactly a week now since election day yes what a long week it was Election night happened November 3rd. Um, it was undecided. And then thus began just this excruciating week of everybody waiting and everything being up in the air. Yeah. I mean, it worked out as expected. And then wasn't it as Mercury cleared the square with Saturn um, that things began to look decisive? Yeah. What yes. happened is there was just this agonizing several day period where unlike most election days, it wasn't decided that night. Um, and Mercury stationed, and it started moving forward again, but it was moving very slowly, and it was applying to Saturn for three or four days. And there were these funny headlines. This is one from the Washington Post. Uh, it says, as election day drags into election week, the waiting is the hardest part. And the subtitle says, an anxious nation clenches its jaw and prays for the vote counters in Pennsylvania to hurry up already. So I thought that was really great, funny, like evocative language for Mercury squaring Saturn and Mercury also being slow coming out of its retrograde period. The newscasters were literally saying, just be patient and stay calm. You know, it's just going to take time. And it was almost as though they were interpreting the astrology as they're talking to all their viewers. And the other thing that I thought was so kind of like really 
literal in a very simple symbolic way was the idea that it was this very slow counting process. You know, Mercury likes to measure things. Saturn likes to make sure things are done right. You know, we've double checked and triple checked. And it was exactly as probably laborious as the astrology indicated it was going to be. There's like a conspiracy theory that somehow there was something off about that or that the mail-in ballots were fraudulent or something like that. Yeah, so we have the last Jupiter-Pluto conjunction this week that can be tied into some of those conspiracy theories. And the reason is because Pluto can be about delving deep into things that are unseen or uncovering that which isn't apparent. On the flip side of that, it can also be things like paranoia because it's the desire to delve and try to find things that you think that are hidden. And so that can be things that are actually hidden or, you know, or just sort of like getting really sort of obsessive in terms of thinking things are there that they aren't. Mm -hmm. There was this NPR politics story on November 8th that said, experts say that the combination of President Trump's continued false assertions of a stolen election and rapidly growing social media groups sharing those claims has led to, quote, the most intense online disinformation event in US history. To extend that out a little further, um, in a lot of traditional texts, Jupiter is truth in the the pursuit of the truth. Right. And as we've, we've talked about, Jupiter has just uh, been terribly abused for virtually this entire year. Um, and if we were going to take the state of truth and see how healthy it was in terms of you know discussion on a general level, I don't think truth has had a very good year. The COVID numbers all over the US are shooting up again. Kyle from archetypalexplorer.com plotted the three Jupiter-Pluto conjunctions for me in their exactness on a graph, and then he plotted the daily um, positive test cases for COVID, and we can see the first two waves of COVID in the US kind of coincided with and tended to hit their high points just after the, ex the two earlier Jupiter-Pluto conjunctions. And right now, we are on track for the third major wave. Looks like it's about to coincide with the third exact Jupiter-Pluto conjunction. Yeah, I mean, it's it's been bizarre living through it. You know, Jupiter-Pluto, you can come up with lots of different specific possible manifestations, but this is like big death, honestly. Like Jupiter is expansive and Pluto can be about those kind of dark archetypes. Mm, yeah. And the reason this is so closely tied into the US is it's probably because it's tied into and how it's hitting something in the US birth chart itself, like maybe the Sibley chart. Um, you yeah. sh you're shaking your head, yes. Yeah, because of the Pluto return is really what I've been thinking about, although it's hitting other planets first, but they're very close together. Mm. So it's been hitting Mercury this year. Um, the, the birth chart of the US, at okay, least the good. Sibley chart. Yeah. So, yeah, so there's the Mercury, which is at 24, Cancer, and there's Pluto at 27 degrees of Capricorn. Yeah, exactly. So it's really tied into that. And I think that's part of why it's hit the US so strongly. All the stuff in the US charts hitting the eighth house, second and eighth, which is, you know, finances and also mortality goes in the eighth house. Right now, at least currently, the death count hasn't gone up as much as it has in March when it first hit and everybody was unprepared. Mm. So I'm hoping that that's the case. One of the things that makes me nervous about looking at the um, 1918, 1918 flu pandemic was that there was a mutation of the virus mm -hmm. and it mutated and became more deadly. And that's what the Jupiter-Pluto conjunction coincided with was the mutation. And then I just hope it's not something weird like that where it's a mutation that comes out of this conjunction. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, that is an important astrological principle is like the thing 
that's most pivotal is happening right then when the aspect is exact, but you don't necessarily see the aftermath of it yet or the consequences of it yet. First 6.4 million doses of Pfizer's coronavirus vaccine could get out in mid-December. A lot of the worldwide lockdowns seem to be tied into, at the time, the Mars-Saturn conjunction that was going exact in at zero degrees of Aquarius. I noticed how that same degree of Aquarius is where the Jupiter-Saturn conjunction would take place in mid-December. So I was hoping, since that was a more positive conjunction where it's like the first one was Mars and Saturn, the two traditional malefics coming together and everything being really tough and really difficult. That hopefully Jupiter joining up with Saturn at the very same degree at the end of the year would indicate some sort of alleviation or maybe the development and release of a vaccine by that time. So far, so far, I think that's actually working out pretty well. Yeah, so that's so, a really good call in retrospect, right? Saturn conjunctive malefic problem gets worse signifies the real initiation of it at its full scale, and then Saturn conjunct a slow-moving benefic, um, potential help or solve or, you know, benefic <laughs> to at least try to counter the malefic. I think a lot about the three graces, the Sun and Venus and Jupiter, and how these are planets that can contribute to, to health and vitality in general. And to go back to your comment earlier, Austin, about how you know we think about the state of truth in 2020, given the technical condition of Jupiter in the sky, I also think generally about the state of, of maybe health or vitality. And so it, it does seem to follow symbolically that not that you know a vaccine is necessarily the be all and the end all, but there is a step towards something that looks positive or is generally welcomed as a as a good thing. And then I also think Jupiter's still going to be co-present with Saturn for the time that it's in Aquarius. So I think it's a, it's an improvement, but it's not quite as fully functioning as we know Jupiter has the potential to be. In the context of the vaccine, it makes me think about the difference between having a vaccine and being able to deliver or you know get it to the to where it needs to go because that, that there's sort of two steps in that process from what i understand uh round of applause i think uh both to us and everybody that we have just about made it through tw the year of 2020 so congratulations we did our forecast last year in november of 2019 and you guys came out here and we met up in person um mm -hmm. but then that shift happened in december of uh 2019 jupiter went into capricorn and that is when the the time of troubles began. The time of times. troubles. <laughs> um, here's some updated graphs with like currently hospitalized people in the US with COVID and how that ended up mapping out in retrospect with the Jupiter-Pluto conjunctions, at least in the US and to some extent worldwide over the course of the past year, which has just been stunning to see. Here's mm -hmm. the screenshot that I took of the Washington Post on the morning of December 14th. We knew the eclipse was coming up. We'd been talking about it forever. Even in our pre-election one, we were talking about like this being the final point where the election is sort of settled. And there was just this one story of like Electoral College convenes to cast ballots for Biden as president. And then on the other side, it said first vaccine given in the US. And I just thought that was such a striking um, couple of news stories to happen on the day of that major solar eclipse in Sagittarius. So one of the things that I like about where we're going as, to, as opposed to where we've been is there was um, a concentration of, uh, of malefics on 
one access um, or even in one sign for a lot of this year and just getting the problems spread out. So it's not all of the problems in one place. Um, mm. You know, I, I'm one of the things that one principle in astrology that this year has reaffirmed for me is that, you know, you can deal with one problem at a time, but two on one or three on one, it's like suddenly somebody's punching you in the back of the head you know, no matter how much of a, a badass you are. And that that same team up dynamic, it isn't three times as hard, it's 10 times as hard. And so just declustering the malefics um, is really nice because it, it takes that like getting ganged up on by life feeling out of it. Definitely as astrologers, I think we learned a lot and it's been nice having these monthly and the yearly forecasts to you know, make our expectations about the upcoming time periods known and then actually living through that together collectively and observing what actually happened was a really fascinating experience. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. Absolutely. And um, from an astrologer's point of view, I'm really glad to have some of the stuff in the rear view because I was like, oh, what's that going to be? It's going to be awful. What's that going to be? It's going to be awful. Like, it's just like, okay, just, just, just just turn over the cards and then we can deal with it. But knowing that, um, you know, looking at the various configurations this year and just being like, ugh, it's, you know, no matter how difficult something is, it's always better to have it receding in the rear view. We've all learned a lot this year and it's been great uh, doing that together with you guys and going through that learning experience with the two of you and then also with our audience and all the comments and feedback we hear from everybody, which we appreciate and definitely helps us helps us a lot. Yes, um, thank you all. It's been a real privilege and an honor to sit down with you guys every month and be able to kind of keep tabs and go into everything and and thank you to everyone who listens because uh, we wouldn't really have a show without you. So, we appreciate it. And just like that, 2020 is done. Just like that. Special thanks to all the patrons that supported the production of this episode of the Astrology Podcast through our page on Patreon.com. In particular, thanks to the patrons on our producers tier, including Nate Craddock, Thomas Miller, Catherine Conroy, Christy Moe, Ariana Amour, Mandy Ray, Angelique Nambo, Sumo Kopic, Nadia Habhab, Issa Sabah, Morgan McKenzie, and Jake Otero. For more information about how to become a patron and get access to exclusive subscriber benefits such as early access to new episodes, go to patreon.com slash astrologypodcast. Also, special thanks to our sponsors, including the Northwest Astrological Conference, which is happening online May 27th through the 31st, 2021. Find out more information at norwac.net. The Mountain Astrologer Magazine, which you can find out more information about at mountainastrologer.com. The Honeycomb Collective Personal Astrological Almanacs, which you can find out more information about at honeycomb.co. Also, the Portland School of Astrology, more information at portlandastrology.org. The Astral Gold Astrology app, available for both iPhone and Android, available at astrogold.io. And finally, the primary software program that we use on episodes of the Astrology Podcast is called Solar Fire Astrology Software, which is available at alabe.com, and you can get a 15% discount with the promo code AP15.